song this morning, and it's called Who You Say I Am, and it's one of those songs that I feel like I have to sing until I believe it, and it's about our identity in Christ, and so I just pray as we sing it this morning that it would hit your heart and that we'd all be reminded of who God says we are. So let's sing this together.
this one more time in my father's house. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am.
Let's pray together, but this song, besides having phenomenal truth of the gospel, I read an article once where only 3% of Christian songs specifically talk about praising the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if we believe in the Trinity and they all to be worshipped, this song is amazing. So Father, we thank you, Lord, for this song. The truth's here. And um, our Father, you, Jesus Christ, our Savior, and you, the Spirit who enables and empowers us, we praise you and thank you. And we trust that today you are all greatly honored for what happens in this room. All because of you, Christ, we can pray to the Father. We thank you. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, sir. So, good morning. A couple announcements, and we're going to jump into the sermon. So first of all, welcome. If you're visiting today, I'm Tony. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm thrilled you're here. If, if you could, and you feel comfortable with it, in the seat back in front of you is a little white card. If you could fill that out and give us your information, I'd love to follow up with any questions you might have, and, and um, thank you for coming today. So you can drop those in the offering box on your way out. And for the rest of you, you all, you all know about the offering box. We thank you for your generosity. Just want to remind you periodically um, where your checks go. So, um, so that's going to bug me down there. We have some things coming up. So first of all, we have a baptism. Two weeks from today or three weeks from today? Three weeks from today, a baptism down at the beach. So we will not have a service here. 10 o'clock, we will all meet down at the beach. Um, Burnt Cedar Beach will have a, a, a short sermon, 30, 40, 50 minutes. And then... And then we'll have the baptism. We'll have worship down there. Elena's getting a good set put together. It's going to be a wonderful day of celebration. Let's pray the smoke is gone. But that's the wrong way. Let's pray the fire that's causing the, stro- the smoke is put out. Um, it's so interesting how my selfishness, I get mad at the smoke for getting people's homes are burning down and to pray for them. So, um, but it's going to be a great time. So if you're not, if you do not live in Incline Village, you simply pull up to the booth at Burnt Cedar Beach, tell them you're with Cornerstone Church, they'll let you in. And then the church will cover that expense later. We want everybody down there as a great testimony of people going to the waters of baptism. And if you want to get baptized, there's a sign-up sheet out there on the counter to the left as you go out. And I'll have a class the week before. I'll get that date out to you about what baptism is. So if you're uncertain what baptism is and maybe why you should be baptized, you have questions about it, come to the class, and you can decide then whether you get baptized that Sunday. There's no pressure, no obligation. Sign up. Make sense? Second thing is next week we start VBS on Tuesday. So wait, wait, a week, 10 days away we start VBS. And we need more volunteers. So let me give you something. I read this this morning. So this is kind of, I I would call it coincidence or serendipitous, or rather God revealed it to me. You decide. I read a quote this morning by D.L. Moody. Do you know who D.L. Moody was? D.L. Moody was an evangelist in the 19th century. And he started as a young man when he came to faith in Jesus of going onto the streets. and, And the idea of Sunday school had just gotten started back then. And he was going to the streets of Chicago teaching children about Jesus. Wasn't in the church, just putting groups together on the streets of Chicago to teach children about Jesus. Well, he eventually went into his crusades, you know, a, a ministry to adults worldwide. But close to death, here's what he said. He said, if I had my whole ministry to do over, I would dedicate it entirely to children. 
Because you understand that by the time children become teenagers, the likelihood of them following Jesus is a lot lower than when they are smaller children. The opportunity we have as parents, grandparents, and a church is to open our kids' eyes to the love of the Savior and his purpose for them. And while we firmly believe the primary responsibility falls on the parents, the church is here to be an assistant to you. And Vacation Bible School is a phenomenal opportunity to get kids together for lots of fun and inundate them with the gospel for four days. We need you to step up and volunteer. And some of you love being around children. We need you to come and lead groups of children that day. Some of you, maybe, I don't feel comfortable teaching children. Be part of the organization of it, setting it up, tearing it down, preparing snacks. Opportunities abound that this church needs to, I don't want to say step up. That sounds like an insult on you. You guys are incredible. See the opportunity before us to minister to children and come join us. On the website, if you go to the church's website, there's a VBS link, there's a place there both to sign up your children and grandchildren and to volunteer. And you can sit on there, I can volunteer Tuesday and Wednesday from these hours, you can pick it all. So please, let's take the stress away from Jessica. We have an incredible history here in this church from Deborah to Jessica of, of these women who love children and wanna see them follow Jesus. Let's come alongside them. Once again, are you with me? Cool. Now, two save the dates. These are no slide for this. Two save the dates. September, 20, September 7th. I just lost my... The weekend of September 16, 17, whatever Saturday, we're doing our second Incline Fest. We did this two years ago. I skipped it last year because of COVID. Incline Fest is we set up that parking lot with tons of things for kids. I mean, bounce houses and all sorts of games. And we had 300 people come two years ago to bring their kids here. We, we feed them. We have a phenomenal time. It takes a lot of effort to pull that off. Put that on your calendar. Someone have a calendar in front of them. Is that, is that September 16th or 17th? This is Saturday. 18th, of course. That Saturday. Then one week later is Josh McDowell coming to do an apologetics conference for us here. Do you guys know who Sean McDowell, I mean, not Josh, Sean McDowell. You know who Josh McDowell is? This is his son, Sean McDowell. And as much as I have learned from and appreciate Josh McDowell, I'd suggest to you Sean McDowell does a better job. He's amazing. He's going to come and do a, a all-day Saturday apologetics conference on how we get to know our faith and defend our faith and explain it to those who don't know Jesus. It's going to be phenomenal. So mark your calendar that day. That should be the 25th. Cool, I can do math. We'll get you more on that. We want to get VBS done, then we'll really hammer those two things. So let's, let's just stop now and thank God for all that's going on. Father, we do thank you for the privileges we have to live where we live, to have the friends that we have, the neighbors we have. Lord, you've, you've blessed us mightily. Now open our eyes further and further, Lord, to what you've called us to do, and as the song said, what you've called us to be, your child. And with that comes privilege and responsibility of serving and loving one another. So guide us in all of this, Father, especially as we look now into Romans 14. Guide us what it looks like when we disagree about things, how we love one another. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, I thank you. Amen. So today is part two in Romans 14. So open your Bibles to Romans 14. And 
part two of Christian freedoms, areas of Christian freedom. You remember last week we introduced the concept I read to you, chapter 14, verse 1, to chapter 15, verse 7, a long section about Paul's concern for the Roman church as there was a Jewish and Gentile mixture, and they had some conflicts about areas of life that they had different opinions on, and there was conflict. So Paul is bringing a admonition of how do people from very different cultural backgrounds come together and follow Jesus when we disagree about certain things. And we talked about the things that our world has talked about. Yeah, Bibles are being handed out if you need one. Please raise your hand if you need a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, take it home with you. Talked about last week, some of the ones we've fought about in our world is, is gambling. Um, I see Gene over here with this nice full beard. There was time when Christians shouldn't wear beards, and those who did were suspect. Um, you're suspect for other reasons, Gene. Don't worry about it. Um, the idea of um, tobacco use of any kind, mixed bathing. Not, that's what they used to call it, mixed bathing. I don't think men and women should bathe together. It was mixed swimming. But they called it mixed bathing for some reason. You know, it's just kind of a weird terminology usage. All these things, playing poker cards. Even though you're not gambling, you're playing with gambling cards. You shouldn't do that. All these things Christians have thought about. And so I gave the big picture last week. Today we're going to jump into a few examples. But I want to remind you of the definition of Christian freedom. So look carefully on the screen. The idea of Christian freedom is this. In areas of life where God has not specifically commanded a course of action, we are free to act according to our convictions and conscience. So look at them, read it again. In areas of life where God has not specifically commanded a course of action, we are free to act according to our convictions and conscience. And that, that can be tweaked with every issue about, about how we apply. Because there's some issues that God did command a course of action, but it was fulfilled in the law and we no longer have to do that. We'll talk about food in a minute. So that's our basic starting point. And I gave you several principles last week. I want to remind you of two of them. First, the glory and honor of God should be our highest priority. How I choose to live in my freedoms, whether I choose to participate in them or abstain from them, should first and foremost, the first filter should be, does this honor him? Not, what do I want and what are my rights? The first filter should be, is God glorified and honored by my decisions? Another one, right out of the text, Paul says, righteousness, peace, and joy are the overarching virtues we should be aspiring for. And we should not let conflict in areas of freedom override the concept of that why I am alive in the kingdom of God is for righteousness, peace, and joy. And so many times, these areas of freedom we argue over take away that joy. And they certainly aren't, righteousness is not how I act sometimes. So we need to keep these in mind in all these areas we're gonna talk about today. I also want to remind you of three types of Christians. We talked about them last week. I want to remind you what they are. Paul talks about in both 1 Corinthians chapter 8 through 10, the very subject we're on today, and Romans 14, he mentions two specific kinds of Christians. He mentions the weak believer. The weak believer is the believer that, that has convictions about what they should and should not do that don't come from God's word, but they come from a personal conscience issue. I should not do that. And what Paul says is, if your conscience says don't do it, then don't do it. Because whatever is not of faith is sin. So, so the weak believer is someone who has a conscience problem on, in that area that I shouldn't do that. I should not have a beer. 
Well then, the weak, the strong believer is the person, I'll come back to the weak, the strong believer is the person that has convictions before God and cannot be easily swayed to change his convictions or her convictions. The weak believer can be easily swayed to violate their convictions. So the idea of a strong believer needs to watch out for the weak believer so that we do not guide them to violate their conscience. Am I confusing you or making sense? I'm seeing very little head movement here. I'll start over. Uh, don't start over there, Sam. We'll illustrate these in a moment. I want to introduce a third person, and that is the Pharisee. The Pharisee, which we borrow from the New Testament, Jesus' opponents, who were more than certain they had everything dialed in correctly, they knew what was right and wrong, and they put that upon everyone else. Okay, that was Jesus' day, the Pharisees. So the Pharisee today is the Christian that has strong convictions about what's right and wrong for them, but they impose those on everybody else too. And then if you don't conform to their convictions, they will judge you. And so for me, I need to learn how to know who is around me if I claim to be a strong believer that you cannot, I will not violate my convictions because you have a different opinion than me. But I need to learn how to live my life in light of the weaker believer in my life and learn how to identify them and change my behavior to protect them. But the Pharisee in my life, you know what they can do? They can pound sand. I will not change my life for the self-righteous person. So last week in men's Bible study, I explained this, and one of the, one of the guys said, well, maybe we should learn to be, pray for them. Ken said that. I said, well, I'm not there yet, Ken. I just want him to pound sand. <laughs> and here's my point. You see, the pharisaical believer that believes they know what's right for everyone else and imposes that upon everyone else damages the weaker believer because it turns them into a Pharisee as opposed to the concept of as we go through life together as the family of God, those of you who are the strong believer, how do you guide the weak believer to a place of freedom where they too can stand before the Lord and, and, and have a conviction what's right and wrong for them without being easily swayed? That's my desire is to help people think through things biblically and the Pharisee gets in the way of that by demanding his way or her way. So back in 19... 85, I worked for what was then called Sierra Pacific Power Company, and I worked out in a power plant out east of Winnemucca called the Valme Power Plant. If you've ever driven out Highway 80, you see it out there to the north of the highway. And I had an evangelistic Bible study in my home. I had about 12 to 15 co-workers coming to a Bible study. We were just exploring who is Jesus. And one of the men named Greg came to faith. And he was gloriously saved. It was a wonderful conversion and life change. And Greg was a cowboy. Now, I don't mean a cowboy wannabe. Greg, Greg worked on ranches. He had cutting horses. He loved the cowboy life. It, it, it oozed out of him. And you know what came with that? Square dancing. And so we were sitting at lunch one day. We were working graveyards, and there's three of us sitting there, myself, Greg, a new believer, and then this gentleman who, who was one of the Pharisees in our churches. And, and Greg mentioned just in passing, oh, I can't wait till this weekend when I'm off because I'm going square dancing. Well, then the Pharisee said, dancing's a sin. 
And so back then, I always carried a pocket Bible. Now it's on my phone, but I carried a pocket. I pulled my Bible and said, brother, would you show me where dancing is a sin in the Bible? And of course he couldn't. So he goes, so if I see Greg going to the dance hall, it's going to cause me to stumble. I said, oh, you're the weaker believer then. So if Greg dances, it's going to cause you to want to dance? Well, what does a Pharisee say to that? Absolutely not. What it's going to cause me to do is be mad at Greg, and I'll sin by being mad at him. This goes back to my point. Your emotions are yours. Don't blame somebody else for your emotions, okay? And so I had to protect Greg from this self-righteousness. Now, when we talk about dancing, clearly there's some aspects of dancing that I go, I don't think we should be doing that in public. And, and people who aren't married shouldn't be doing it in private. Um, but if there is a, a dancing style that has, lacks all sexual innuendos, it is square dancing. <laughs> so, so, but you see, we all know people like that in our lives, and possibly you and I could have some of that in us where our experiences say, you know, you really shouldn't do that. If you were a good believer, you wouldn't do that. So keep those three people in mind. So two biblical test cases we're going to do today. The first one's alcohol. Paul mentions three things in Romans chapter 14. He mentions food we eat. He mentions day of the week we go to church. And he mentions wine. He just mentions wine in passing. And he says, if wine causes my brother to stumble, I won't drink it. And so here's the issue. Food and wine kind of go together, but we're going to separate them for our example today because you see food and wine prepared by a Gentile did not live up to the standards of the kosher rules for food and wine for a Jew. So they had trouble with it. It wasn't that these Jewish people didn't like alcohol or wine. They didn't like the way the Gentiles prepared it. So, so we, we see you know, food issues. We see in Romans 14.20, it says, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. So for them, the food issues, kosher and non-kosher, was a big deal. It's not so much a deal for us today. Today, I don't think that I, I and my choices to eat causes you to stumble and causes you to eat something you don't think you should. Most of us have pretty deep convictions. My daughter became a vegan when she was a teenager, and it kind of just weirded me out. And her and I went back and forth many times over it, and I offended her, she offended me. And finally, Teresa said, would you guys just stop it and appreciate each other? And when I stopped arguing, I came to realize, man, this girl is disciplined, incredibly disciplined to maintain a vegan lifestyle. I was very proud of her. And she left me alone and quit preaching at me. But as a general rule, most of the time, you may say to me, oh, you really shouldn't eat that because it's bad for you. But that's not this sense of, of judgmentalism that we get in Scripture about areas of freedom. And, um, and just so you know, my wife lets me know what I should and shouldn't eat. And in a good sense, she treats me wonderful. But when I go out to lunch with you guys, all bets are off. So bottom line, the Bible says all food are clean. You can live in freedom there. It's, it's, the next one he talks about is the day of the week you go to church. Listen to Romans chapter 14, 5. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink. Or in regard to a... Oh, no, that's the wrong passage. Oh, I don't have it here. But it says in Romans 14, 5, it mentions there that some of you consider one day more important than the other. And we talked about last week, for the Jewish person, what day was most important? And for the Gentile Christian, what day was most important? You see, both of those in Scripture have different purposes. 
The Sabbath was about staying home and not going out, and you had family worship. That wasn't the time the Jews went and gathered somewhere else for a large gathering. They stayed home. That's the command. Stay home and don't work. The first day of the week became the time you gathered to celebrate the resurrection. So now there's a struggle on what day do I keep? And Paul says, let everyone be convinced in their own mind. And, and again, today, I don't think we argue about this. Not in our circles anyways. I think our bigger thing is, oh, it doesn't matter. I'll go to church when I feel like it. So as the pastor, I'm telling you, feel like it more often. <laughs> um, and, and, and what I'm saying is, the scheduled day where you show up at church has nothing to do with righteousness. You can be utterly unrighteous and go to church every week. It has to do with the belief that the family of God is needed in my life to grow to be like Christ. And we have to gather to do that. And whether it's Sunday morning or Wednesday night, whenever you do it, you must gather regularly. But once again, though, that's not, I wanted to address those two, but what I want to talk about is the drinking of wine and alcohol and how we figure this out, both biblically and culturally among ourselves. All through scripture, healthy vineyards are seen as God's blessing. I mean, you look at the Old Testament, when God blesses Israel, their vineyards thrive. And by the way, their vineyards weren't about for eating grapes. It was about for making wine. When Israel rebelled and started committing idolatry, God took away their vineyards. The vineyards represented the blessing or the lack of blessing. So all through scriptures, vineyards are that imagery of the blessing of God. Now, many people today who are opposed to drinking and can lend towards the pharisaical side of things tend to say, well, alcohol or wine in the Bible didn't have alcohol in it. And it's really an impossible position to hold. Absolutely impossible. It's, um, it's really silly. It makes your argument look silly. If you say, you know, alcohol is not part of my life and I have a conviction of that, God bless you, keep that conviction. You'll save a lot of problems in your life by avoiding any level of drunkenness. But to say the wine of the Bible had no alcohol is unsupportable. Even, even the concept of new wine. New wine is the idea of wine that's recently been put into storage to start fermenting. Acts chapter 2, and they all spoke in tongues, remember that? What was the accusation on them at 9 o'clock in the morning? Drunk with new wine. It's very clear, they're drunk with new wine. Where new wine has very low alcohol level, so they have to drink an awful lot of new wine for breakfast. But it was still able to get them drunk. So let's, let's be reasonable in our arguments. Alcohol in the Bible is not condemned. What is condemned? Drunkenness is condemned time and time again. Let, let me just read one to you, then I'll come back to John chapter 2. This is Proverbs 20, verse 1. This is just one example out of hundreds of be careful how much you drink. Proverbs 21, wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So, testimony time. How many of you have crossed the line on alcohol where later you go, huh, I agree, wine is a mocker, and strong drink is a brawler. So we know this. This is common knowledge. This is common knowledge. But then again, in John chapter 2, Jesus is invited to a wedding, and they ran out of wine. 
And, and, and Jewish weddings lasted days. And they ran out of wine. So Jesus' mother says, hey, make some wine for him. And you know the argument. And Jesus goes, oh, mom, come on, leave me alone. My time's not yet. And his mother says, tell the servants, the waiters, what, what to do. There were six jars of, of that hold water for purification rites. And these, water, these jars hold 25 to 35 gallons of water each. So Jesus had those things filled up with 25 to 35 gallons of water, with water, and then he turned them into wine. And when the wine was handed to the head waiter, what did he say? You saved the best wine for last. I mean, Jesus made good wine. Zinfandel, I mean, I mean, Rombauer could sell it, you know. But do you know how much wine six 25-gallon barrels are? If it's 25 gallons, that's 600 bottles of wine, 50 cases. If they were 35 gallons, 30 gallons, that's 900 bottles of wine, which is 75 cases of wine. That's how much wine Jesus made for this day. Way more than they needed for this event. Cain is a small town. Why did he make so much? So obviously his first concern is, well, I better be careful they don't get drunk. That's not his first concern. What's his first concern? What is his point? Back to what's the purpose of vineyards? They represent the blessing of God. So now Jesus goes over the top and makes phenomenal wine in abundance to say, the God who blesses you is at your wedding. It's a beautiful picture. We allow our, our cultural stigmatism on alcohol to ruin the imagery here that is absolutely beautiful. The blessing of our Savior in our lives. Listen to these verses. We, we know the verses against getting drunk, but look at these verses in Psalm 104 about the value and the purpose of wine. Psalm 104. You caused the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for men to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth. And wine, so you cause wine, to gladden the heart of man. Oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. Wine to gladden the heart of of man. It is talked about several times, the idea of wine gladdening your heart, and there's a couple of passages that talk about the merriness that comes from wine. So this is seen as a good thing. Our problem is, where do we draw the line before between the gladness and the merriness that comes from a glass or two of wine and then drunkenness? If you're a wine drinker, do you know where the line is? Two drinks. It's pretty much my can, too. One and a half, usually. I, I know what it feels like to say, I crossed the line. So I want the blessing of God to remain that and not turn it into something that is embarrassing for myself, for my family, and my church. Um, so maturity knows where that line is. If your conviction, though, is stay away, then stay away. And so Teresa and I, when we have old people for dinner, well, let, let me read the next passage, Deuteronomy 14. This is about God's going to pick a place for Israel. He hasn't told them yet. I'm going to pick a place where you're going to bring your tithes. But it hasn't been picked yet in Deuteronomy. We learn later it becomes Jerusalem where the temple's built. And he says, but if you live a far way away, then you, you sell, and the tithes were animals and, and grain. You couldn't travel a long way, so it says sell those and bring the money. And here's what you do when you get to that pace I pick. 
De- Deuteronomy 14.25, then you shall turn it into money, that is the tithe, the, the goats and sheep and grain, and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place the Lord God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat therefore before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. What's he saying in modern parlance? Have a party. Now, the the prohibition against drunkenness still stands. But he's telling you, celebrate. By the way, what's strong drink? Today, if I say, you know, I like beer, but I don't like strong drink, what am I saying? I don't like distilled alcohol. That's what I would be saying. What's funny is strong drink, distilled alcohol, there's argument about it. But it was invented probably around the 8th century A.D. and wasn't made normal to the public to do it until about the 13th century A.D. So the idea of having 40, 50, 60, 70, 80% alcohol or proof didn't exist in the biblical times. Strong drink is most likely beer. You see, wine comes from the fruit. The strong drink came from the grain. And the distilling process of grain is hundreds, if not thousand years after the New Testament. A couple thousand after Deuteronomy. So when you see strong drink, don't think whiskey. That's not the context. Think some kind of grain turned into a drink, what we would call beer today. Um, so just, just so you know what strong drink means. In our context, strong drink means liquor. You decide whether liquor is part of your world. It's still an area of freedom. So, what do we do now? That's the basic information. What do we do today? We need to watch out for a brother or sister who struggles with their conscience in drinking or struggles with addictions in drinking. And today we have a lot of understanding how addictions work. And it's you who have the the faith to believe a glass of wine is good for you to know when you invite someone to your home what you're going to put in front of them. So when Teresa and I invite people for dinner, we'll flat out ask them ahead of time. There was one family we had over, and, and I asked the husband, I said, I, beforehand, right here, I, sitting right over there, I said, we're excited for you guys to come. They've already accepted an invitation. They had their kids that were coming. And, and I said, do you guys drink wine? And he said, I don't. My wife does, but not in front of the children. I said, then we won't serve it. And that's easy. I can eat a meal without a glass of wine in order to honor this family's convictions about alcohol in front of children. That's the kind of thing we got to do, you guys. First filter needs to be, what is best for someone else, not what do I want to do? And that, that is, is, we know that, but we have to raise that to a conscious level constantly. And um, that I do not want to do something that causes someone to be uncomfortable or causes them to stumble. Paul said he would never drink wine again if he thought he was causing someone to stumble. But you wine lovers out there, and I count myself as one of those, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to say, you know what? If this is a problem for people in my life that I love, I'll stop completely. You want to be the truth? I'm not quite there. I didn't drink for 20 years because of the church tradition I was in. And so when I came to different understanding, I, I kind of celebrated my new freedom. <laughs> Not drunkenness, just enjoying. 
So I, I have a lot of growing, renewing my mind to do still in this area. And if you do too, the two principles again, the glory and honor of God should be our highest priority. And righteousness, peace, and joy are the overarching virtues we should be pursuing and not let areas of freedom distort those things. Here's Paul in 1 Corinthians 10. As he concludes his subject on this matter from chapters 8, 9, and 10, listen, it's not a, it's not a slide. So, here's my conclusion on this area of freedom. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So there is our thing. I must put something much higher than my personal desires and that is your salvation and your growth in your salvation as greater than anything that I enjoy doing in life. Whether I eat or drink, whatever I do, to the glory of God. That was the easy one. Now we're going to talk about the hard one. It has nothing to do with scriptural context. It's today. And that's the concept of vaccinations. So I want you to know I am, um, I, I've done hours of studying this week on the concept of vaccinations in our culture the attitudes people have, the numbers and percentages. And we are a hugely divided country on this. There's a website. Can we put that website up? I found this website Saturday morning. And um, Saturday afternoon and early evening, I spent a couple hours on it. It's called usafacts.org. And this website is filled with information statistics about covid in every state, and it's fascinating to see. And it has minimal commentary, it's just information. Because we get our commentary from CNN to Fox News. And then we respond to whichever one we have an affinity for, we buy into what we're hearing is the truth, it's the gospel truth. And I would suggest to you, neither one of those organizations or anyone in between called the media are bringing us the gospel truth. So let's be careful that we draw hard conclusions. I, I listened to this morning to two different doctors with two very, with qualifications in this area with very different advice about vaccines and masks. So be very careful what you grab onto and then tell other people, you better do this or you better not do that. We gotta be careful here, folks. So I wanna quickly run through the principles of last week and apply it to this idea of vaccination. Because this is not so much a weak believer, strong believer. This is a, a convictions we have that we then turn around and go, you better agree with me. Or if you don't agree with me, I think you're weird. Or if you don't get vaccinated, you're killing me. Or whatever, whatever extreme we take it to. And what I want to say is this is a very important topic. COVID is real. People are getting very sick. and Many people have died. So we, we, I think we all know that. But how I choose to respond is first and foremost between God and my family. And I must keep the principles of Scripture in mind how I act around you. Um, I've been vaccinated. And here's what I want to say to you. If you ask me, well, why were you vaccinated? I will say to you, Nanya. Do you know what Nanya means? 
None of your business. That's what my daughter would say, nanya. So I've adopted it. It's kind of my cool terminology. And frankly, I'll tell you why I got back. I, I, I don't have a problem, but here's my point. We don't, we don't get to dive into each other's lives and say, you owe me an answer why you do or don't do things. Let's be very careful that we don't presume we know better than that person. And so that's, that's where I'm going on this. So, so remember, the first principle we learned, the glory and honor of God should be our highest priority. How I live my life, whether I get vaccinated, don't get vaccinated, whether I wear a mask or don't wear a mask, needs to be filtered through, is God being honored by my actions? So we've looked at that scripture today. The second one we looked at last week comes from Romans 14, one through four. God accepts us all, so we should do the same for one another. Let's look at that principle. I'm gonna read Romans 14, one through four to remind you of a principle. Then we ask, how do we apply this principle to our current situation? Paul's situation was different. It was about food. But Romans 14, when asked for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. So let not the one who got vaccinated despise the ones who didn't. And let not the ones who didn't pass judgment on the ones who did. Those principles apply. For God accepts us all. Who are you to pass judgment on another servant? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Do we believe that God is working a plan in each individual life here in this room and working a plan for us as a whole? Do we believe that? Now, I have an opinion. I have an opinion. It's, it's a strong opinion. I, I can't say today. I'll show you the verse that proves it, so I should work on that. But I believe God has my day picked when I go away from this earth. How I live between now and then is up to me. I make choices that can make it a miserable time or a, or a, a wonderful, healthy time. But I, I believe that Jesus says you can't add one day to your life. Let's not make fear of getting sick and dying the highest thing that we live by. It is important how you live your life every day for your own health and for the health of the person next to you, in front of you, and back of you. So you have to think of that but let's be careful despising and judge one another because God has accepted us. Verbal criticisms and exaggerations are not helpful. If you're not vaccinated, consider other people's needs around you. That, that you know what? That per, I, know that's, I know that person's conviction is different than mine. I'm not gonna make them uncomfortable with my choices. I'll give them the space they need. If you're not vaccinated, ask yourself why. What are the reasons? And, and make sure they fit biblical principles of loving your neighbor as yourself. But I don't get to ever say, well, you're less spiritual than I am, or you're a fool. That violates despising and judging my brother for his choices. We talked about righteousness, peace, and joy are the overarching virtues we should aspire for. Don't let conflict in areas of vaccination override these. That's what we're doing. I really believe that. We're allowing our strong opinions about this because it's more than whether I eat meat or don't. It is about health and sickness and all that. So it's, the stakes are considerably higher when it comes to this than about what food I eat. But the principle must be there for us to live together in harmony and understand each other because as soon as I criticize you or, or attack you, 
what kind of mood are you in to have a reasonable conversation with me? None whatsoever. What are you going to do? You're going to get away from me or you're going to attack back? And now we have two people who call themselves children of God acting like children and treating each other like that. Bearing the burdens, this is the last principle, bearing the burdens of the weak are more important than pleasing ourselves. Again, I don't have a vaccinated is a strong, unvaccinated weak. I don't have that. This isn't about weak and strong here. So the, 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 the exact example of scripture, we need to take the principles, but not call each other weak and strong. I would suggest to you that we all have convictions about this. Half of the United States has been vaccinated. The state of Nevada, it's just under 50% of people who had both shots, a little over 50% people have had one shot. The website I just showed you up there, put that website up again if you didn't get it. You can look on there, it talks about the different ages, what percentage of people vaccinated. It talks about different races and ethnic groups that people have been vaccinated. And, and it's very enlightening when you learn these things. Um, we must realize, I, I kind of went off my notes there. How do we apply this directly? Ephesians 2, 3, and 4 applies everywhere. Consider the needs of others as more important than yourself, and don't merely look out for your own needs, but also for the needs of others. Actually, I quoted that wrong. Consider other people as more important than yourself. It doesn't mean they are. We should consider them more important. And then watch, look out for their needs as much as you look out for your needs. That principle must apply when it comes to COVID and how we, we treat each other. And don't allow Satan to pull you into the debate that gets emotional and sinful. And there's actually a principle in 1 Corinthians 10 where Paul says, those of you who like to eat meat, if you go to an unbeliever's house and they put meat in front of you, eat it without any conscience issue. It's just meat. Even though, even though it was offered to a God in his public ceremony, Paul says, that God is no God. Eat the meat. There's nothing wrong with it. He said, unless, unless a weaker brother or sister comes along and says, you shouldn't eat that, it was sacrificed to an idol. Then Paul says, don't eat it for conscience sake. Not your conscience, but the weaker believer's conscience. So, so and his point is, and, then, and don't give opportunity for people to criticize you and your freedoms. Those principles, sometimes what we say is, you know what? I know my opinion is different than yours in these areas. So I, why, why do we even talk about them if we're not willing to listen to each other? So I avoid them. I think it's a principle of to keep the peace when we can't solve it, I'm not going to bring it up in front of you. And if you bring it up in front of me and I perceive you're just looking for a fight, I said, not playing today. Why can't we get to a place where we can sit down and say, listen, here's my thinking. What's your thinking? Here's your thinking. What are biblical principles that can inform us where we can either come to an agreement or live in peace and righteousness and joy in our disagreement. We're not there as a culture. So, that's enough. Let's ask God for his blessing and guidance. Father, thank you for your many blessings, and they are numerous. Give us eyes to see them, Lord, from the big things to the little things that we are so privileged 
as you have chosen to bless your children. And then remind us, God, why you blessed us, so we could be a blessing. And in this area, Father, give us eyes to see who we need to bless, who we need to think through our choices, maybe change our behavior in order to help somebody else. Give us that attitude of Christ, that though he existed in the form of God from eternity, did not count it something to be held on to, but gave up glory and became human and died on the cross for us. Develop that attitude in us, Father. Thank you. And we do love you. In Christ's name, amen. So we've had a young man here named Chris Eckert who's been helping us for months as an intern, both in the booth and on stage. Chris is in college in Arizona to, to become a worship pastor. And he's going back this week to Arizona. We tried to get him to quit school and stay, but he said no, he, he wanted to finish his last year. So Chris is gonna come sing a song for you about his heart for the Lord. And, um, and so Chris, come on and join us. It's Chris Eckerd. And, um, And, um, and when, he, when he's done, we're going to pray for him. So, um, mm-hmm. Sorry, I made this kind of hard for myself with these microphones and all. Um, I just want to quick say something, actually, before I sang the song, though. Um, thank you, Tony, for this opportunity. I know Daryl's not here, but I also want to thank him and Elena as well. And if I can encourage you all as well, like, these guys put a lot of work into this church, and I've been taught over the past couple years that it's really important to pray for your leaders, because there's a lot that happens in their lives that we don't see, because they're people just like us, so, (laughs) you know, Uh, but encourage them whenever you can, and continue to pray for them, even if they don't know it, because they really need it a lot of the times when you don't think about it, Um, but the song that I'm going to sing for you is actually from... uh, the, the church that is the school that I'm part of. And I really love this song. It's been on my heart for the last, I don't know, like few weeks or so. We sang it uh, down in Florida when we led a youth conference. And it's from the perspective of us as worshipers. And I think that it does a really good job of capturing how we should be responding to God when, we're, when we really understand and know like, oh yeah, this is him, this is all his glory. And I wanted to read a quick verse to kind of intro into this, but it's from Psalm 96. It says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are his sanctuary. See, see, I'm 
Bring your team up. What I want to do is, is um, spend a few moments in prayer. So, so I'm not even sure what time it is. Oh, we're doing great. You've got 30 minutes left, though. So. <laughs> Someday I'll stop being a smart aleck. I'd like us to pray for Chris. And as he pursues his desire that God is leading him in, I don't want to embarrass her, but I'd like to pray for Brighton. Because she is going to college this week. Brighton is going to um, um, Colorado Christian University, and um, love to pray for her as, as we pray God's protection and blessing on her. And then instead of just talking about it, let's pray for this fire, that, that God would keep people safe, property safe, and get this thing extinguished. Um, so let's just spend a few minutes, um, maybe I'll pause and you can pray silently. But let's let's take advantage of this time. So, so Chris, um, come up here. I don't. I want to respect your distance, but I'm not. So come up here. So Father, thank you for Chris and his heart. For you, first and foremost, is that song reflected? One of his songs that reflects his heart for you. 
Thank you for him. Thank you for the way he's influenced us here. And got some experience here, helped us, and hopefully we helped him. And Father, as he goes back to school, um, give him great understanding and wisdom and insight to what you're calling him to do and be. And fill him with your spirit to guide him to what he needs to learn this last year and to, to be a mighty impact, an, an instrument, a tool in your hand for your glory and a weapon against the evil one who brings despair and discouragement and how music can lift us, Father. So use Chris mightily. Thank you for him. Father, we also pray for Brighton as she goes on to college. And Lord, what a delightful young lady who's followed you. Now strengthen her faith as she leaves her home to go to college, to hang around a lot of other people who love you. So give her great wisdom. Give her great self-control in her life to do her studies and do what you've called her to do. Help her meet some friends there, Father, who are in love with you that can become her core family there since she's leaving her family here. Give mom and dad and her brothers and sisters um, great peace to know you're watching over her. We thank you for the blessings she is to us. And then, Father, we ask for um, these, this fire, especially the one up in Northern California, Lord, has burned endless miles of trees and homes, and people have died. Um, Father, I, I, I repent of my attitude sometimes when our valley here, our lake fills with smoke, and I get mad, um, as opposed to having that a reminder to pray for people who are in harm's way, people losing their homes. So God, use your people mightily in these communities. I know the town of Greenville to burn down completely, Father. So raise up your people in different communities around there to reach out for needs that are met, to make sure needs are met, Father. Um, but we ask, Lord, that you bring conditions, bring weather, bring huge rainstorms with no thunder to put this fire out. That's our prayer, Father, in this thing. Um, so and we thank you for those firefighters, countless thousands of them that have put their life on the line to protect us and our property. Thank you, Lord. All these things we give you praise and know that each day, each day we breathe air is designed to honor you. So today, Father, as we leave this meeting, I, I truly hope that we have that filter in our heads, that renewed mind that says, I want God to be honored by all my thoughts today, all my actions, and all my words. You've equipped us to do that. Now guide us in it, Father. In your son's name, because of him, your beautiful son, our Savior, we pray. Everybody said, Amen. So, Elitas, Elena. Worship. Chains to come. 
blessed week and we'll see you next Sunday morning.